Welcome to Catholic Economics. I'm your host, Levi Russell, and today is September 20th, 2020. So today I'm going to go through several news stories from the week, and I want to start off with the S&P 500 uh, kind of was up a little bit through the middle of the week and then dropped pretty significantly and has, has continued to drop over the last couple days. And what we're seeing, I think, is still uh, this tech slide from uh, a, a correction in the tech, uh, some of the tech stocks due to, I think, probably overvaluation uh, in the run-up that they had earlier this year. But I'm not really seeing a whole lot of uh, big big news, big stories, anything that, that I think is uh, of, of, of real interest uh, for me as an economist and you know, not as somebody who's going to talk about picking stocks. So I want to jump right into the kind of Main Street side of things. And I've got an article from CNBC. Uh, the headline says, Yelp data shows 60% of business closures due to the affliction are now permanent. Permanent. So that means permanent. <laughs> As of, let's see, it's, uh, it's got some key points here. Uh, Yelp on Wednesday released its latest economic average report revealing business closures across the U.S. are increasing as a result of the affliction. As of August 31st, 164,000 businesses have indicated on Yelp that they have closed a 23% increase since mid-July. So that's interesting there because we're seeing it's, it's sort of ramping up. So you would think that uh, you know as these businesses are... Um, adjusting so the ones the ones that could adjust to the situation and still operate um, effectively uh, w- would have already done so right um, but now w- since we're seeing this increase there apparently uh, there are a lot of businesses that could not make those adjustments and they're continuing things are continuing to get worse my guess is that this is mostly um, held to uh, kind of the larger city areas where a lot of the uh, social distancing stuff is is a lot more prevalent and is a lot more uh, strictly enforced. Um, Let's see. So last thing here, according to Yelp data, permanent closures have reached 98,000, representing 60% of closed businesses that won't be reopening. And so that's kind of an interesting perspective here because you know, we we were told that you know all of this stimulus would fix this problem, or at least would provide a a bridge across while we were going through all of these policies. But as the policies have dragged out, I'm here in my own state. I live in Kansas, but unfortunately, right now, I have a Democrat governor. Hopefully, never again um, after 2022, I guess when she's out. But uh, we we are still under lockdown until mid 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 October. So um, even well, even a red state, you, know, you got a blue governor, yeah, you're in trouble. If you got a state that has a lot of large cities, I mean, there's certainly uh, there's certainly cases like oh Florida, right, where they didn't really ever have a big lockdown or anything, and uh, they seem to be doing pretty well. 
So I think this is an interesting statistic, and it really shows you the damage on Main Street. And it really shows you, too, that a lot of the commentary doesn't just just really doesn't understand how businesses have to operate. Uh, you know, you, you can't you can't take a loss like this and then just the next day come back. Right. That that capital that you ate into while you were losing money for the last several months is just gone. It's gone from especially from your perspective. Where did it go? Well, in a lot of ways, it went into the stock market, it went into these large businesses. So uh, the reality is that, uh, you know, the Main Street is not coming back uh, in the same form that it was in. Now, maybe you think that's a good thing. Maybe people, uh, you know, oh, well, we, we don't want everybody to be obsessed with consuming anyway. Well, that's fair, but uh, this isn't going to change their consuming behavior. <laughs> They're just going to consume from more large multinationals and less Main Street businesses. So I don't see anything good about this personally. So the uh, recently, this, this week we had some more news on the payroll tax, uh, uh, I guess, deferment that Trump put into an executive order. And so I've got a few stories here on this that, and, and of course, all this stuff's going to be linked uh, in the show notes. So the headline here from Zach Friedman at Forbes, Republicans propose payroll tax plan, what it could mean for your paycheck and social security. So essentially what happened here is Rep. Kevin Brady out of Texas uh, proposed new legislation that would temporarily lower payroll taxes. Uh, so the FICA taxes from 6.2% to zero from September 1st through December 31st. And that time frame coincides with Trump's um, deferment of the same tax. Uh, but, but his deferment was all FICA taxes, not just for the, the FICA taxes for the employee side. So this bill actually uh, just basically creates a, a payroll tax holiday, which again, a, a someone from the House can do this, right? The, the House has to control the budget um, just based on the Constitution. So the there, there would be no employee-paid payroll tax. Now, if you're self-employed, I'm guessing that would just mean it would be cut in half. I don't know how that would work necessarily. I don't, I didn't see anything about that in the article. Um, and so the, the idea would be that you would get 6.2% of your top line income instead of that going as, you know, being taken by your employer and put into a, uh, an account so that they could pay the taxes every quarter, they would essentially just not collect that money. And from September 1st through uh, the December 31st, so part of the third quarter of the year and all of the fourth quarter of the year, they wouldn't be collecting that payroll tax and they would be uh, instead just leaving that in your check. So your check in terms of uh, uh, calculating this off of your top line number, your top line salary, um, you would you would get a 6.2% raise for this period. Okay. Um, and, and okay, maybe you would quibble with that and, oh, it's not really a raise. Okay, fine. I'm just saying you get to take the, you get to keep that money. You get to take that home instead of send it to the feds basically. So the, the reason for this is it's necessary because Trump's executive order was only there to defer the taxes. And the concern is, um, and I'll just kind of move into my next article here by the same guy, Zach Friedman at Forbes, um, the, the payroll tax deferral started uh, on September 1st. And um, he so he writes this piece on August 31st. So this is a little bit of an older article, but but I, I think it gives good context. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, link to it. And essentially, 
uh, what he details here is that what what Trump did was he said, okay, I all I can do is defer this. I can just tell the IRS not to collect it. Okay, but the issue is that businesses aren't really getting on board with it. And what's nefarious about this? So you can you can compare uh, uh, Friedman's two articles in Forbes uh, across these two time frames if you want to look at both of them. But what's nefarious? What's what's happening that's really uh, crummy? Uh, so I got this Politico article, which, you know, I mean, you may not have thought I would ever put in a Politico article, but here I am, uh, by Brian Failer on September 15th. Um, basically, as uh, interesting report that essentially a lot of businesses are taking advantage of Trump's executive order. So Trump said the IRS is not going to collect these payroll taxes through the end of the year, from September 1st through the end of the year. And now, if the Treasury Secretary and Congress aren't able to come together to forgive those taxes, okay, then they would have to be paid next early next year. And so here's what's happening <laughs> is that a bunch of these companies are not paying their half of the payroll taxes. So essentially what happens with FICA taxes is you you pay 6.2% and your employer pays 6.2%. Okay, and so that's the FICA tax total. Um, and so there's several companies, several large companies that are postponing paying their payroll taxes, but they're not postponing their employees' payroll taxes. So these include Chipotle Mexican Grill, UPS, American Airlines, Wendy's, AMC Entertainment, SeaWorld, and Chico's. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of Chico's, but I've heard of the rest of those. Um, and, and so this is it's just such an interesting <laughs> thing that's happening here. I mean, this is the the bad type of corporatism we don't like. This is the bad side of this, where these large employers are taking advantage of stuff and it's not helping employers. They're not they're not refusing to collect on their employees stuff. They're just they're not paying their own. So uh, let's see here. UPS expects to save $370 million. American Airlines figures it will save $300 million. Chipotle says it will have an extra $100 million thanks to these provisions. So it's just, it's, it's such an interesting thing. And it's, it's so typical, right? That, uh, of course, uh, something designed to help the employee and then the companies uh, find a way to just benefit themselves from it and, and not, uh, you know, pass that, that help on to their employers or, excuse me, their employees. And now you can make, you can make an argument, of course. And this is what a lot of them are doing is they're saying, well, look, we don't want to not collect now and, you know, give people a break and then have to collect it later. Right. Because with the, again, with the EO, it's just a deferral with the, with the executive order. It's just, well, we're not going to collect them, but then, you're going to have to collect them January through August, or excuse me, January through April next year if you don't collect them right now because they're going to be due over those next two quarters. And so, uh, or well, I guess over the next quarter. And so what's so frustrating about that, I think, is, is that uh, so these companies are just saying, oh, we don't want to create a hardship for our employees. We don't want to create a hardship for them. And it's like, look, the hardship's right now, buddy. Like, Maybe I could use the money right now and then, you know, figure out how to deal with a smaller check, you know, early next year. Maybe, you know, by the time the election happens, we can get something going and they figure out how to forgive the tax break for these few months in the next budget. Right. But but at least 
I mean, stop the bleeding, right? Uh, but hey, you know, I mean, <laughs> obviously, if Yelp is sitting here telling us that all these Main Street businesses are closing, 60% of them permanently, um, you know, you would think you would want something in the hands of, you know, average Joe who's going to go down to his local store and keep that guy in business. But hey, you know, the system is what it is, right? So let's see. The last, well, this isn't really the last thing, but I, I want to spend quite a bit of time on this. This week, a lot of stuff happened with the stimulus. So we thought uh, most recently that, you know, this the whole thing was just off. Like they couldn't come to a deal and there really wasn't any pressure on Pelosi. Well, it's kind of interesting. So ignore the title or the, the headline on this New York Times piece that I linked to here. So the headline is, as Democrats fret, Pelosi vows to act again on stimulus plan before election. But what this what this article is really about is that there's something called the Problem Solvers Caucus in the House. And this is a group of 50 uh, reps and 25 Republicans, 25 Democrats who are uh, who try to kind of deal with gridlock issues. And so what they did over the last six, seven weeks is they took Pelosi's bill and they said, and then they looked at the Senate bill that uh, that didn't pass the Senate, which was very pared back. It didn't have the bag in it. It didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Uh, it didn't have Trump bucks, I guess I should say. Um, it didn't have any of that stuff in it. But these problem solvers folks took a look at these two bills and they said, okay, here's here's kind of some middle ground that we think makes sense that can can kind of help move negotiations forward. Right. That's the whole idea is let's get the negotiations back on the table. We broke this away from the budget. That's good. You know, this is this is something we can work with. And so they had a, a press conference about it. And Pelosi just automatically just says no dice because and, and as this next piece shows, so I've got a little video uh, CNBC interviewing Mark Meadows who is the White House chief of staff, right? So he's he's going to be part of this uh, negotiation team because, of course, we want something that is not only going to get passed by both houses of Congress but also be signed by the president. So Meadows is interviewed on CNBC, and he's looking at this problem solvers plan, and he's like, hey, look, this, this looks great. You know, this is, you know, it's not, it's not everything I wanted. It's not perfect. But this is a place where we can negotiate from. And, then, you know, this, this reminds me of something that, you know, people have been saying over time about Trump is, he he's a negotiator. He's not staking out a position with the idea that this is just some magical thing that he thinks is is um, uh, is is like the right thing. Okay, he's he's trying to figure out how to um, you know make a deal, and it's like <laughs> these these journalists that cover um, politics either don't get that or they're just you know they're just bent on completely uh, misrepresenting him all the time, which is probably the latter. But um, so Meadows says, you know, hey, this is great. And then, of course, the interviewer uh, does a good job, I think. CNBC is not bad. CNBC interviewer says, uh, you know, Pelosi said this is a no dice deal for her. And he's and Meadows just says, you know, that's 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 unfortunate, you know. Uh, so then we've got, let's see, Newsweek comes in. So this is where uh, you're starting to see a lot of pressure. So of course with, you know, Pelosi, she loves to just run the Democrats in the house with this iron fist. And when these 25 Democrats that are on this problem solvers caucus, you know, they're kind of pushing back on her. 
And <laughs> so it says uh, Pelosi blocks second skinny stimulus plan, this time from moderate Democrats. And so you can kind of see in the narrative here that she's starting to getting she's starting to get pressure, a lot of pressure. And the next link that I have for you uh, from Real Clear Politics, it's a Fox News interview, <laughs> video interview with uh, Senator John Kennedy. And it's kind of a boomer joke, but he's like, Pelosi acts as if she tried Tide Pods. <laughs> so he's sitting here talking about uh, the, the Republicans, the way the Republicans are looking at this in the House, because they're saying, you know, of course they don't, I mean, they're going to run the gamut. There's going to be some of them that are going to want to pass something, and there's going to be a few that are going to be holdouts for, you know, no new spending and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But it's kind of interesting to see what what Kennedy says here in terms of, uh, again, we're trying to jockey for this this relief package. And he brings up the fact that, number one, Pelosi's biggest holdout thing, the reason she doesn't like this Problem Solvers Caucus deal is because she wants, she wants a trillion dollars half of which would go to California and half of which to go to New York or something like that. She wants a trillion dollars for this bailout and most of it would go to those two states. Well, of course she wants that. She's from California, right? Uh, so it's just good politics for her. But at the same time, I mean, she's safe. She's in like a D plus 30 district or something like that, I'm sure. But the point is she, she wants all this money and she wants to bail out her friends, and so that's why she's so mad that these Democrats are trying to put some kind of a, a thing forward that would at least just help the average person, right? So you can tell that Pelosi just obviously does not have the average person in mind here. Uh, and one of the key points that Kennedy makes here, though, is that <laughs> so Pelosi has said she's committed to keeping the House in session until they make a deal. Well, you know, this is an election year for everyone in the House. So from the perspective, especially of, of the, the currently Republican-controlled Senate, they're looking over there, and very few of them are being reelected, right, because uh, senators are in for six-year terms. So some of them are up, but there's a lot of these Republic, or excuse me, a lot of these House Democrats that are in pretty unsafe districts that could get knocked out, uh, especially if there's kind of a, a surprise Trump wave thing like there was in 16. And they can't campaign because Pelosi's keeping them in. She's keeping them in the in session in the House. So, I mean, from from a perspective of a Republican senator, it's like you know, we've got we've got all the leverage, right? Pelosi's hands are tied. She's over here. She's going to lose the House, or potentially could, if she keeps all these people in session and they can't campaign in their home districts. And yet, she's acting as if she has all the leverage on the the negotiation of the details of the bill itself which is just crazy. So anyway, these are some of these are fun to read. I, I think this video is worth watching just because it's hilarious. Um, let's see. Newsweek, Trump reaches over GOP to praise bipartisan stimulus, but Pelosi won't budge. So this is the other, the last piece to this is that it's, it's, it's been hilarious to watch the lefty media uh, try to find a way to say bad things about Trump in all of this because Trump's just basically saying like, hey, look, you know, I, I don't mind what the Problem Solvers Caucus came up with. I, I think it makes sense. And of course, you know, this is way more money than the Senate wanted to spend, uh, that, you know, McConnell wanted to spend. So 
it's it's kind of interesting how they're they're trying to spin this like, oh, Trump is ruining all of the negotiations. <laughs> it's like you people are ridiculous. Uh, but but it does put it does put Pelosi in an interesting position because she just is under all of the pressure. So of course the media is running interference and trying to blame the stuff on Trump. But she is under all this pressure now because now she's got the White House saying, hey, we like this problem solvers caucus thing. She's got all the moderate Democrat or not all of them, but a lot of moderate Democrats saying, hey, this is a great idea. She's got the Republican House, at least a good portion of it, you know, wanting to move forward with negotiation and get stuff done. She's got a lot of Democrat senators, or excuse me, a lot of Democrat uh, representatives who are wanting to get home to campaign. So she is feeling the pressure. And of course, now within the last 24 hours, what do we hear, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg, may she rest in peace, has died. And now they've got another thing to deal with because now Trump's going to um, probably nominate somebody and hopefully they're not a squish like Comey Barrett, but or Coney Barrett. There we go. Hopefully it's somebody better like Pryor or whatever. But, um, but he, I mean, McConnell's going to do it. He's going to do it again. He's this will be the third time that he's done this. Um, and he told the Democrats back in, what was it like 20, was it 2016 or 2012? I can't remember when it was 2013, something like that. Uh, that, you know, they, they changed the rules. They're going to regret it. And here they are. They're going to regret it. One of the main themes of this show is supporting Catholic businesses. And thanks to cabinrugs.com, you can do that while making your living room a more comfy place to be. Cabin rugs are manufactured right here in the U.S., which means you're helping to create jobs here at home and they produce a high-end quality product. Cabin rugs is home to the largest collection of cabin, Native American, and Mesa-inspired rugs online. They have rugs, runners, and even large area rugs. Join me in supporting this fantastic Catholic business. Log on to cabinrugs.com to browse their collection today. Okay, so the next item here is student loans. So I've got this piece in Yahoo Finance by someone whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. Student loans in America are a federal government problem, expert explains. And essentially what they say in this article is that the massive amount of student debt, $1.68 trillion dollars, uh, is, is cannot be dealt with by people paying it off because we've got so many delinquencies. We've got uh, such a massive amount of debt. And what's interesting here, so uh, Democratic Senators Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren uh, have proposed that the next president of the U.S., so of course, you know, they're not trying to play into Trump's hands at all. Uh, they've proposed that the next president of the U.S., cancel $50,000 in student loan debt for borrowers. So I'm sure that's, I haven't read all the details, but there's a link here in this, this Yahoo news piece. Yeah. You can check it out if you want. Um, the, my guess would be that it's some kind of percentage. So on an individual basis, it would, it would forgive a certain percentage up to $50,000, uh, you know, or whatever. So the, you know, the interesting thing about this is, if you think about the history, you know, we had, we had, we had private, but sort of government guaranteed loans, kind of like, uh, FHA in the mortgage world, right? They had that kind of thing for student loans and then Obama effectively nationalized them. And the only thing that private companies have to do with it now is just facilitators. But then of course, I mean, there are private student loans, but that's a separate issue. Most of this stuff is, is the federal government's loans. So now you have the situation where we kind of have an opportunity potentially for a, for a genuine sort of jubilee kind of thing where we just say, look, you know, this all of this debt is held by 
the, the government anyway. Uh, why don't we just forgive a large portion of it or whatever? And, and I, I, I have a, I have a problem with this in a way because my understanding, you know, just, just thinking through the incentives is all, this isn't going to make anything better. Okay. Because nobody's going to pay the price. Okay. So like the, the bondholders, you know, the U S government bondholders and stuff like that, you know, they'll, they'll shoulder this to an extent and it depends on how they structure it. But this isn't going to change any of the incentives for the schools, right? The schools have been the one of the biggest beneficiaries of this deal because they have been able to just, without any rest whatsoever, just compl- just be increasing tuition every year uh, for the longest time. And, and a lot of this is debt-fueled. It's fueled by the fact that you can get a cheap loan that you know you're not going to have to pay back. Uh, I mean, th- there's all kinds of schemes that, that they've introduced. Look into the REPAY, the repay program. Uh, all these, um, uh, essentially, if you don't make enough money, you just don't pay very much of the loan. And then after 10 or 20 years, depending on what sector you're working in and all this stuff, if you're, if you're working in nonprofits, then it's 10 years. If you're working, um, if you're working, uh, or, or if, or if you're in education or something, it's 10 years. If you're working in a normal job, it's 20. And then after that, they just write the rest of it off and you have a big tax obligation in one year. Uh, but they write it off. So the, the issue is, I think that in a lot of these cases, and I'm sure an increasingly number of cases, an increasing number of cases, we're going to be writing stuff off anyway over the next decade or two. And so to me, I think we get more and more into this argument about, okay, well, why are we even doing this in the first place? Um, so I personally think that what we need to go to a more European type model where we just say, look, you know, if you're not smart enough, then you don't get to go. Um, but the government's going to take care of it if you are smart enough. I mean, I, to me, that's maybe that's not perfect, but it's better than what we have now. Okay. So last thing here is this deal with TikTok. Um, and this, I don't know, maybe this isn't a big economics thing, but I think it is because I think economics in the macro side of things is really, uh, in a lot of ways, is sort of a subset of kind of international relations. And what what's happening here is Trump is basically saying that we're going to uh, we're going to be banning TikTok and WeChat uh, if those two companies do not, uh, if the Chinese holding companies don't basically hand those over to us companies. And of course there's not a lot of detail. Uh, they missed this deadline. So now it's like something in November, somewhere in November that we're just going to, those are just going to be taken off the app stores and stuff like that. Or maybe, maybe it's right now. I, I didn't really understand the article. The article that I have here is from Yahoo finance. And of course it's, it's obsessed with, you know, bashing Trump the whole way. They, they they accuse him of uh, of wanting to get into this deal of banning TikTok and TikTok and WeChat because uh, a bunch of teenagers bought up all of his tickets and and were like organizing on TikTok you know, TikTok to do that. Um, I mean, I'm saying TikTok for Pete's sake. I mean, I sound like a boomer, but um, I don't I don't use TikTok. Uh, they tanked his attendance uh, at a June 20th campaign rally in Tulsa. So they're saying, oh, he's claiming without evidence that the Chinese government's using this. And it's like, no, you morons, you're claiming without evidence that the only reason he cares about TikTok is because they messed with his rally. 
Like, no, he's been against China the whole time. And of course, these big tech companies in China are working with the Chinese government. Are you people stupid? And so then you read this thing and they flat out are just admitting that he, of course he does. Of course he, he's, uh, you know, of course, of course the, the, these companies work with the Chinese government. Duh. Of course, we all know that. Um, so I think this is going to be an interesting thing because, uh, as far as economics goes, because I think it's, it's one of these things where ostensibly this is a product that a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people enjoy. And so when we're, when we're talking about these intermediate industries like steel and stuff, and we're talking about trade deals in that kind of thing, the average person doesn't always necessarily see the, the direct impact of that because, you know, maybe they live in a part of the country where, you know, steel is not a big thing uh, or they, they don't see the jobs impact of that. Right. And maybe they notice, you know, things increase in price a little bit or whatever. But this is different. This is this is uh, WeChat isn't used, I guess, much by by people that are native to the U.S., but it, it's used a lot by uh, Chinese people here. Uh, but TikTok is pretty popular. And so it. it this is going to be a case where this uh, trade war thing really hits home for a lot of people that it hasn't hit home for yet. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of Trump stuff, I think, that has been great, like not signing the, tr the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I mean, what a fantastic thing. But again, we get all these people that want to just constantly dump black pills down everybody's throat because they say Trump's never done anything. And it's like, that was the first thing he did. Now, it's something he didn't do. It was a negative action, right, in the sense that he didn't sign it. But it's so, yeah, it's hard to see the effect of it. But my goodness, I mean, can you imagine where we would be if we had done that deal? So, you know, I don't, uh, I mean, there were things like, uh, you know, they were wanting to make the Millennium Copyright Act like a criminal law. Like if you worked on a piece of equipment that you had uh, that where the Millennium Copyright Act was like prohibiting you from getting into the software on that machine, uh, you could go to jail. I mean, this is totally insane. There was all kinds of bad stuff with the TPP. Okay. Um, so I think this is just a continued um, move towards economic nationalism. And I think it's going to be an interesting thing because now we're going to have to, you know, uh, you know, your average 25 year old is going to have to actually deal with the fact that, okay, here in the short term, something you like is going to go away. And, you know, the, to the extent that you will still support this, even though ostensibly it hurts you, um, you know, maybe it helps you in the long run because maybe, uh, you know, you find a job in, uh, you know, some kind of factory or some work, some line of work that's here because we aren't offshoring as much or something like that. So that's all I have for this week. I appreciate your time. appreciate you listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, contribute financially to the show. I have a Patreon, Subscribestar, and I also have a, uh, a support button on the Anchor page. Uh, so check that out if you'd like to. Also check out the Leonine Institute. We just came out with our inaugural issue. Uh, share that around with your friends. It's free. It's a PDF right now. We're doing uh, crowdfunding to try to get uh, to try to put together an EPUB version for our next issue. We're trying to put some funding together to get a print version going for the next issue. Uh, so please check that out as well. Leoinstitute.org. It'll be uh, linked in the show notes. Follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. All my links are down there as well. Uh, my Twitter DMs are always open. So hit me up there if you'd like. Thanks for listening.